Welcome, Whiteman Warriors, to Practicing the Pillars podcast, where every airman is a leader. When you lead yourself first, others will line up to follow. I'm Chaplain Captain Bill Petrie here with our 509th Chaplain Superintendent, Master Sergeant Kevin Dilley. Hello. And a very special guest, the 509th Honor Guard Program Manager, Technical Sergeant Jonathan Walters. Sergeant Walters, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Awesome. So you've had quite a story, um, hard, rough beginning, and uh, some rough middle parts, but you are still in the Air Force. You're still plugging along and doing great things. Why don't we just start back from the beginning to just give us context of, uh, of your story? Oh, absolutely. I, so I've been in 17 years now, and the, the first time I actually ran into any kind of a hiccup in my career back in my staff sergeant days was the force management of 2014. I just crossed, well, I cross-trained about four years prior from uh, being a jet troop uh, over to CE, and I just got done paying me out that nice little bonus, and so I had no more protections. I was full-on in the career field, just re-enlisted, and uh, all of a sudden this force management thing came out, and everyone's telling us, oh, don't worry about it. You're fine. There's nothing wrong with your career. I didn't even have an LOC at the time. Then we learned that they had two separate boards, boards of people with past issues, and you know, then just people who are having a normal career. Um, and they just started picking people. And at the time, I was working as a security manager for my commander. And uh, I just got off of leave. I was at one day left. I was, you know, chilling in the house, getting everything ready for the next day. And I got knocked on the door by two of my friends, a tech sergeant and a master sergeant. And I thought that was weird. You know, hopefully, everything's okay. Um, they sat me down at my dining room table. And I was like, no, I don't want to sit. What's going on, guys? And uh I said, your name just came through the fax machine and you are being separated. At the time, I had four vehicle payments and uh, and I had a foreign exchange student uh, from Denmark living with us for a year. And with all the leave I had saved up, I had 89 days to uh, transfer from active duty to the civilian world. So uh, I went to TAPS twice in that time period to make sure I got all the information. Uh, I brought my, 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 spou- my spouse at the time with me to make sure that she heard everything that I was hearing. You know how that goes. Yeah. So I got hired uh, at ConAgra Foods, and I was uh, going to be starting with them there in about a month. And when you get separated compared to a PCS with, with my rank and family size, instead of 12,000 pounds, I could only be authorized 9,000. So when we just did a move from one base housing to another because they had to demolish a row of base housing. And so I knew I was way overweight. I had to sell about 5,000 pounds. So we just started selling everything, selling everything. So fa- fast forward uh, to uh, the, mon- the Friday before TMO was coming Monday. I get called Thursday night by my first sergeant telling me I had to be in his office at 6 a.m. Me and another guy that were going through the same process showed up there. And we were told to, he had no idea what's going on. We were just told to wait. So first sergeant sat with us in the office and an hour and a half went by just talking small talk and you know, me and the other staff sergeant, like, what are we doing here? And he's like, well, I'm just told to bring you to the command post by 8 o'clock. And so now we're wondering why we had to be there at 6, right? But <laughs> anyway, uh, we get taken to the command post, and it's a really weird feeling. I thought this is exactly how Jason Bourne was done. They're going to give us a silver briefcase, <laughs> send us to some remote area in the world, yeah. erase our military record, and we get to do something really cool, right, that we can never talk about again. Actually, uh, they brought the other staff sergeant first into, a, into an office with no windows, and he came out, and there was three other chiefs there and multiple first sergeants, 
and they don't let us go one at a time. And they pulled him off to the side, and as I'm walking by, he has this little shell shock look going on. And I'm like, what is going on? They pulled me into the office, and my wing commander and my command chief are sitting at a desk. And they asked me to sit down, and then they just start reading. And they're reading an apology letter from the Secretary of the Air Force. Myself and the other staff sergeant were two out of 50 airmen that they made a mistake on. And because there, I'll never forget the article, there's a Staff Sergeant Siegel that discovered other people that should have been met the board that he was with at his unit somewhere in the Air Force didn't meet the board. So him and his leadership kept pushing up and pushing up, you know, and trying to get answers. And they discovered uh, that 38 people that should have met the board didn't, and that affected 50 people Air Force-wide from being separated, and we were two of the 50. So, so that's a... That's a lot to learn. Yes. Uh, the day TMOs come into your house. Yeah, because that Friday uh, <laughs> that I got notified that uh, all three of my children that were going to school on base were having their going away parties. <laughs> and um, absolutely. So just uh, kidding. Guys. Yeah. And, and so after he read to me the apology letter, uh, the wing commander looked at me. He's like, Do you understand everything you, I just read to you? And uh, I still couldn't believe my response today. Um, there might have been a swear word in there, but yeah, I was very calm about it. But I was like, are you kidding me? I just sold my daughter's dresser last night, you know? And he's like, listen, I understand that it probably just went through a lot. But remember that the Air Force did make a mistake and they decided to admit it and keep you in. Yeah. So think of the positives right. on that and how you can continue your career, especially when other airmen ask you about this. Because at this time I was at that base for seven years. Sure. So I, I was well known around that area. And they, they could have just uh, not said anything, and you would not never have been any the wiser. No, absolutely. And then I would have just been content with bankruptcy is a real thing I'm about to go through, you know, and yeah. uh, just try to move on from there. Um, but I got to stay. Uh, funny note on that, about a week later, somebody else who didn't uh, had a going-away party at his house, in base housing, and, you know, he was smoking some meat, and, and we were having a little get-together, and I walked up to him, and I was like, hey, this is a really nice smoker. I used to have one just like that. And he was like, your wife sold that to my wife two weeks ago. This is your smoker. So I was like, oh, awesome. He's like, do you want it back? He's like, not at all. Good luck in your future adventures. But um, so that was my my first taste with, oh, no, what do I do? My life's about to change, and I had nothing yeah. to do with it. you know. And my support system there, I just shotgunned out everything, looking for help. Uh, my commanders, my leadership, they were helping me with USA Jobs. They were getting me in connections with uh, the Army Corps of Engineers. you know. So my applications uh, – for those types of jobs, taking me to meetings with them and introducing me to, to the Army Corps of Engineers personally um, made me feel like I was being taken care of. Well, on the positive side from that, when it does come time for you to retire, you know, you know the steps to take. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I still think I'm going to go through taps because things change, mm -hmm. you know. So there's there's more to your to your story. That that was not the only thing that you've had to overcome in your in your career. No, uh, no, it, it was not. Um, unfortunately, um, about four years down the road, right after I finished NCUA, well, going back to that first story, so my discharge medal turned into uh, a mid-tour, and it was awarded to me January 31st, the last day medals could be awarded uh, and counted towards testing. And my commander wanted to move me from security manager down to door manager because at that time the boards, were, the, the course management boards were going to keep going every other year for five years. And he's like, I don't want this happening to you again. We have an opening in door management. Let me send you down there. You'll be in a special duty and they can't touch you. Hopefully you'll make tech down there, get you another two years, and this whole thing will be over. So I go down to door management and I make it down there where I'm PDG only in a special duty. And my 
discharge medal was an accommodation, turned you know three points. I ended up making tech sergeant by one point eight. So everybody out of the woodwork, you know, that, that was telling me, "Hey, you're going to be fine in the civilian world. Everything happens for a reason." They all came back to me and telling me, "See, I told you." And I was like, "Yeah, but that was it was not a fun way to get there." Yeah. You know, so um, that those those points that you got from that decoration was the points that pushed you over. Absolutely. So without that, you wouldn't you wouldn't have made it. Yeah, no, I would not have made it that year. And so I learned at that moment that how to reach out and how to ask for help and ask the questions. I mean, every small question, if, if one person started getting tired of me asking questions, I would go to somebody else that was experienced and I would start asking them all the other questions. And then sometimes the same question to see if everyone's telling me the same, mm-hmm. the same, uh, path to go yeah but yeah if it wasn't for that i definitely wouldn't have made tech when i did and then i had uh two years down as a door manager which gave me uh, a nice portfolio on dealing with with massive amounts of airmen at one time um but then because i made tech sergeant i went down to ncoa uh, and then a few years later uh right before i got out of door management um they i had orders to korea so here's a new chapter in our life that uh, i'm about to leave the family for a year uh, living on base, uh, we get everything set up. How many children do you have at this point? Oh, uh, we have three children. Three. Yeah, two boys and a girl, and so and we're super excited because we find out that our follow-on is Lake and Heath, and finally we get our overseas orders. We've been at that base for seven years, and we finally get to go overseas. So I go to Korea, and I start killing it immediately, making a name for myself, getting coined by killing it in a good way. In a good way, absolutely, yeah. and you know. Um, Running the, the dorm maintenance shop with, with other airmen from different career fields and um, getting coined by everyone in our leadership and getting my airmen coined and restructuring the program, you know, fresh mm-hmm. eyes type mm-hmm. of thing. But then back home, started having issues, phone calls being missed, short, weird phone calls. And uh, my neighbor's always o- over at the house, 10 o'clock at night. Oh, we're just watching Big Brother, you know. And it's like, you guys can watch that during the day, you know what I mean? And uh, then it became... You know, things started getting turned around on me, and, and I'm the one that's that's not paying attention to you know her needs and um, where am I at while she's sleeping? You know mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So I started coping uh, by drinking a lot more with other people, other coworkers, mm-hmm. and sure. people in the unit and friends that I've met down there. So when you when you heard this, what, where was your 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 mind at? What are you what are you thinking? Well, when I heard it, of course, I feel guilty for accusing. You know, my then wife and, and mother of my children of, of certain things are having, you know, bad thoughts about it. Yeah. Because um, even though it was su- suspicious, you, yeah. you know, she kind of turned it back on you, made it feel like yeah. you were the one. So then, um, yep, so I would I would make sure to call four to five times a day, text, pictures, things like that, because now she's worried about what I'm doing. So kind of pushed it off of, couldn't talk about what I thought was going on at my home back at my last base. And... Then so my going out kind of slowed down and kind of isolated myself outside of work. Mm-hmm. I would go out a few times a week um, for maybe a half hour at a time just to show face. And then I'd end up back at my room and I would cope just by drinking. Mm-hmm. And um, we were at a softball game one day with all this stuff going on back home and of course, we're making a beer pyramid out there because our team is winning. And some people ask, it's like, hey, have you ever been to America Town?" you know, right off base? And pretty much 90% of that place is closed, so there's really no reason to go there. Um, so I said, no, I haven't. And we got a cab, and we went down there. And 
I think it's something called an ammo bowl where it just a bunch of liquors thrown into a bowl and everyone gets straws and that kind of thing is going on and mm. uh, run into somebody and I can't remember the exact verbiage, but it ends up becoming, you know, a, a heated argument and then ends up becoming a wrestling match. We end up being arrested together and then come to find out that um, I was wrestling with, you know, with a senior airman and we're both drunk in public and then there's assault and battery. Mm-hmm. And even though there's no punches thrown still, right. Sure. Not very professional. So what, were, were there other people there with you? Other? There, there, there was. And, um, and those people tried helping the other person by tackling me as well, you know? <laughs> okay. And, but again, everyone did a good job making sure no punches got thrown and trying to separate us. But that, but, by that time, security forces was already alerted, and we were three sheets to the wind and couldn't really make good decisions. And that's where I let it go too far as an NCO. I should have made sure that, you know, when you got that drunk, or nobody should have even got that drunk in the first place, but should have got cabs. Everyone had the cab numbers everywhere. We could have just, as soon as the heated argument started, okay, we're done. Everyone, here's a cab, go home. Mm-hmm. So I wake up the next morning not knowing how I got back to my room. I just know my wrist hurts because uh, I was handcuffed, you know, and uh, went into work. And then as soon as I got my guys out out jobbing, uh, I went and talked to my chief. And uh, he said, uh, you need to go talk to the to the ADC, you know, right away. So I went down there, and we only had one ADC personnel on the base. So I got down there first, so that was my representation. And then the other airmen had to get somebody from Japan. Um, but I took the heat for everybody um, because I was the highest ranking. I knew that's how it was going to go. Um, but now I'm still dealing with my ex back home, and I know that she's going to use this as a reason for not being able to trust me or, or something else is going mm-hmm. on. And, and my commander knew I was supposed to be going on mid uh, home on mid-tour, and plane tickets were already bought. Um, so instead of going through the NJP right then, he let me go home for my 30 days. Uh, I get home. Everything was okay. It was a little weird. There was a lot of empty alcohol bottles in my garage, and you know, new things around the house, like bedding and, and things like that, that I didn't know that we bought. And, but for that first week I was home, she was, my ex was really mad at me about the Article 15 situation. Mm. And then I started accusing me of, you know, you were probably with other women while you were out there, you know, and things like that. So it's a constant argument for that week. And she had, she made me and my neighbors have a barbecue and I wasn't really in a barbecue type of mood. I had a lot of stuff going on in my career. I know there's something going on with my marriage. Anyway, we have the barbecue, and my ex-wife has to go back home to Wisconsin for her sister just had a baby for three days. And during that three-day time period, my civilian neighbor, who was married to a military, his military spouse, showed up with a U-Haul, gave his wife divorce papers, and left his three children with her. And that was the same night I was picking up my wife from the airport, and the neighbor walks across and uh, said, hey, do you know what's going on? I said, I have no idea. You know, my wife tells me there's nothing going on, so I got to believe that. I pick her up and I start asking her questions and she tells me that, you know, well, we don't talk about our marriages, you know, for the last six months or two and a half years friendship, they right. don't talk about their marriages. When, when they're, they're over watching big brother, yeah. they're, they're talking about big brother. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, uh, a few days later into it, I just can't let this go. Cause you know, the truth is always in the details and you know, the kids are telling me they're spending the night over there. And Kaylee, you know, my, my youngest is telling me that she's woken up in the middle of the night at his house trying to, and goes out through the garage trying to get into our home you know, in the middle of the night, it's like, why are they over there by themselves? You know? And then she finally comes out and admits that they've had a relationship. She's pregnant with his baby. And 
Yeah, that was a hard one. What? Yes, absolutely. And I didn't know what to do. I was like, I don't, what am I supposed to do right now? I'm supposed to be going back to Korea, and now we're going through this. You know, and you've been blaming me for like the last three months that I'm doing something against our marriage. And then she says, well, you can't stay here. And I was like, this is my base housing, you know? And she's like, I don't care if you don't find another place to, to go. I'm going to say that you threatened me. So I immediately walk out of the house. All I have is my is my wallet, you know, and uh, a baseball hat on and some cargo shorts and my T-shirt. And I, I start walking, but I live kind of close to the clinic. And coming back, bringing it back to the force management days is I'm in a situation I don't know anything about. I need to reach out for help. So I walk into the clinic and I go up to mental health and I just blurt all of this out at the poor little airman behind the counter. And she tells me to hold on, brings me to a back room. And they come in and ask me a couple more questions. And uh, about a half hour later, they come back and they tell me that we can offer you a 33-day treatment program in Oregon because you're in trouble with alcohol back in Korea. This will help you, uh, you know, with getting new coping skills. Um, hopefully, it will help you with whatever punishment is coming down from your commander. And it will give you a place to live and, uh, and deal with your divorce in a safe area. So I said yes. And we're having my daughter's birthday party. And uh, in the clubhouse of our base housing and the next day, I think. Mm. So we had to go through that fake motions of that birthday party. Anyway, I get on a plane about two days later and I am in a 33 day treatment program. Uh, luckily, I got put into a, a, a military wing, kind of like a veterans wing. But that ranges from PTSD, um, active duty members that just got back from a you know hostile area uh, to homeless vets that are in their 70s, um, some dependents and uh, people who served a few years and got and got out, and uh, my roommate was actually detoxing off of heroin when I came in. But so this is uh, you got like a leave of absence. So it was, it was more of a kind of like a I don't know if it's the correct word, but kind of like convalescent, you sure. know, or like quarters type of thing. I was just thirty thirty three days didn't come off of my personal leave, and that's on top of my mid tour that was already going on. Mm-hmm. I was already halfway through, and so none of that. The military didn't want me worrying about any of that kind of stuff, and they just wanted me to get help, right? And my command already knows about what's going on. They kind of knew a little bit about my marital situation um, before I left on my mid-tour. And then my unit that I, you know, that I was at, well, that I left to go to Korea from, they were very supportive. Uh, I had a lot – I still had a lot of good networking down there. But here I am in this treatment center, um, kind of like the first day of school again, not knowing anybody, and it's kind of a weird situation. And I started thinking, like, do I have an alcohol problem? You know, is this my fault? What's going on with my marriage? I'm going to jump into this program head first. So nobody can say that I didn't give it my all and not find out a diagnosis or what to do to prevent it. I might not have a career once I get out of this place. I'm definitely not having a marriage when I get out of this place. So I went full on to the program. Of course, Air Force training of volunteering and, and trying to create new programs. I created a, a new intake program where everyone in the wing would donate a little bit of something because the homeless vets that would come in wouldn't even have clothes. So, uh, and we were able to go out once a week if you were doing well in your progression. And usually in a month process, people only got to go out once, maybe twice. Yeah. And, I, and I went out all four times because I was, I was helping. I was doing a bunch of things. And So that you created that program while you were there? Yes. Okay. Yep. And uh, I just kept myself busy. And in a place where you're structured, uh, this is the meeting you're going to. This is when you're eating. You know, this is what you can do. This is when, when you can do it. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of downtime in between, so I had to keep my mind busy. So I wanted to start a new program. I talked to everybody in that place, and I found it very helpful sharing my story and hearing other people's stories. It, it just helps you deal with your own. Yeah. Sure. So so if I could just back up just 
a little yep. bit into the recesses of your of your emotions a little bit. Um, so you're anticipating paperwork coming from your commander in Korea. You're visiting home base with your family, and you you're completely rejected. Everything you own is pretty much on lockdown in a home that you're taken care of, but but now you're not welcome. Then you've got three kids, and I can't imagine what you're feeling about walking out the door thinking about your kids and am I going to see him? Am I not going to see him? What's that going to look like? That whole range of, of, of thought and rejection and emotion. What, what were you, what was going on in your mind? What was, what was happening? Was it all caving in on you? Were you, were you feeling like, like, like life is over in the military? Life is over as a, how were you, what was going on? That's a good question. No, I, um, I felt completely lost and I know I did do something wrong, but it it shouldn't have led to this, you know, the situation I'm in that, yes, Mm -hmm. I I might be getting an article or some kind of paperwork, which could lead to a separation because I'm already at 15 years and I'm going to go down to a staff sergeant and uh, that dock and pay is not what I need right now, you know, or even the loss of my career with a divorce going on. And I know I messed up, but all this is going on and now I'm worried that people aren't going to want to help me because I messed up on something. And they're like, well, that's what you get when you go to yeah. Korea, you know, or mm-hmm. so in a weird way, I just kind of, kind of like going to, to basic, you have no idea what's going on, but you're getting yelled at and it's not your fault, you know, <laughs> and, and you have no idea where to go, but it's going to happen. And someone's going to push you in that direction, you know, and from my, my, uh, force management days, I knew if I just asked, even if people didn't agree with, with, with what's going on on either side of the story, they had to do their jobs and push me in the right direction. So um, I knew that I'm in a treatment center. It's safe. Uh, they pretty much disconnected all, co- all all communication between me and my soon-to-be ex and focused on me individually. And that really helped me start getting things back in order. And I've had two medical professionals tell me by the end of all of it that I didn't have a drinking problem. I had a cheating ex-wife problem, that, I, and I had zero coping skills. It's not my ex's fault that I coped with alcohol. That was my decision. I just mm-hmm. didn't have the coping skills. We joined the military at 18, and unfortunately, a lot of supervisors themselves are, are young people. Maybe they have some children, but they're toddlers still. And sure. And some of them haven't gone through a lot of this life stuff, and they know that alcohol, here you go, Come, let me take you out for a beer. Let yeah. me take you out for a beer, you know, or they have a drink special going on here. Just forget about her. You know, so let's just go and have a good time. Yeah. And that's how I coped. And again, that's not anybody else's fault, but my own. Cause that's what I chose to do. Sure. So I quick, quick question. Yeah. Um, how do we get people, young airmen, how do, how do we get them these coping skills without having to go through what you went through? So what, what I like that's going on now, um, even here at Whiteman is that they are, they are having these classes of, of discipline classes. There's one coming up here at the end of the month. Uh, they have other classes going on that about article 15s and, and how to recover and things like that. I highly suggest that airmen go to these even when they're having a good career so they can hear what's going on with the rest of their peers and kind of see what's going on because nobody, as a young airman, it's hard to look at the 15-year, 17-year tech sergeant or master sergeant who's telling you, hey, make sure you get help first before it gets too late. But when your friend tells you to go or people that you know care about you, your inner, inner circle, or you see a success story, people are more inclined to ask for help first. As a supervisor, I've gone through 
several situations where I didn't know an airman was going through a divorce until three weeks into it. And then after all this, since I, I share my story with, with all the airmen that I work with, let them know just a little bit. And I don't go this, this in depth, but if you need anything, let me know. My job here as your supervisor is to get you help. And I've had a lot of airmen come to me with a lot of issues that are going on in their life, ranging from everything from sexual assault, divorces, to not making a car payment, or which attorney should I go and get for this situation, you know? And um, they can go and get the help first. It's when you let it pile on and pile on, because now I'm not just dealing with, with an infidelity issue in my marriage. Now I'm dealing with me breaking a bunch of laws in the military on top of I don't have a place to live. I don't. I might not have a job. Instead of going and getting help, as soon as I figured out that something is wrong in my home with my marriage, I could have went to a chaplain. I could have reached out to counseling. You know, they, they have many, many opportunities to get help in Korea. And if I would have reached out when I had that one problem that I wasn't sure of how to deal with it, I might not have gone and tried to cope with it on my own mm-hmm. and then make the problem even worse. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's exactly what I did when I, when I got in trouble is I made it worse, but mm-hmm. I owned up to it. And I already had a good career going up to that point, a good reputation anyway, in Korea. So they knew I wasn't trying to get out of work or manipulate the system. They yeah. knew I was somebody that was going through something, yeah. but they had to hold me accountable. Good order and discipline. Of course. Right? So how does owning up to it, do you think that, did that make things better? Or did that make things worse? It made things better, 100% better, um, especially with, with me internally, um, you know, spiritually, is that I was involved in this. I made these certain decisions once I did that, it kind of lined up with everything in treatment because one of the main like mantras that, that I brought back from that is I cannot control what other people do, no matter what. Uh, you cannot control what other people do in your life. You can tell them to, to do things all day from telling your airman to set their alarm clock the night before or telling your, your spouse not to cheat on you while you're in Korea. You can tell them, but you cannot control anybody. Right. You know, it, you, can, you can try to bribe them, beg, borrow, order, whatever you want. But they're going to do what they want to do. So once I drop that stress from my shoulders, the responsibility stress of everything around me, you know, and I could just focus on me. Like if if she's going to take me to, to court and try to take the children, that's what she's going to do. It doesn't matter. How can I control me and what I do in this? And then I thought about the kids when you guys brought up the children. No matter what the situation is, my children are always going to love their mother. doesn't matter what kind of what kind of a job she has or what she did to their dad. It's your mom. And once I realized that, I tried to approach this yeah. divorce and the parenting plan that was a battle for three years after that. Yeah. Well, I, I have yeah. to say that that's a very mature and unusual because it's very natural. It's very uh, a human thing. We're, we're, well, we want as many people on our side as we can get. So sadly, oftentimes people will even try to get children on their on their side. So that's very refreshing to hear that you you saw that, that, look, our marriage might not work, but that's still mom and yeah i mean don't get me wrong i was i was distraught it was emotional sure. i mean you know all my stuff is on lockdown i can't even go into my own home i mean how did you get there to that that point because i like so, i said I, I do i don't think that that's very natural no so i i like i said i might have just been if i was in the base housing on the opposite side of the base it would have been probably a 45 minute walk for me to get to mental health and they might have been closed then what do i do right so yeah i know there's a lot of luck involved with with my part of the story there but like I said, when, uh, during the force management, I just shotgunned out help calls to my yeah. friends that I've worked with, to my leadership that I've worked with, um, to just um, anybody that would listen, really. And they all contacted me while I was in treatment. They all got me to where I needed to go. You have to ask for help. 
because nobody knows and nobody wants to get into your business uh, with fear of, oh, I'm going to ruin this relationship because I'm, I'm trying to ask, you know, he's going to think that I think that he doesn't know how to yeah. hand, you know, handle his money or his mm-hmm. marriage or his children. Yeah. But knowing that from 2014, uh, I was dealing with it on my own until I was like, look, I can't. I'm getting out anyway. You guys have got to help me. I, someone's got to help me. And that's what I did in yeah. this situation as well is that I need help. So crescendo a little bit. So here you are, you're 30 some days into a program. You still have no idea what's going to take place with your marriage. Well, you know that you're going to get divorced yep. at that point, but you don't know what's going to happen with your kids. You don't know what's going to happen with the base commander back back in Korea. I'm sure you didn't just walk out of that treatment facility and then all of a sudden things were just going your way. What, oh, what, no. did, what did things look like at that point? So... Up until that point at the end of treatment, I picked up a lot of coping skills of how to just shut everything out and, you know, find out what I needed and just sit. No electronics, no nothing. Kind of like a little bit of meditation, but I don't know a lot about meditation, but I do yeah. know going into a room by yourself with no noise, no distraction, and not laying down and going to sleep or taking a nap, but just sitting there for five to ten minutes just to focus on your thoughts and be neutral in your own mind. Okay, how would a third party approach this and try to think as logically as possible and then stick to it? You know, and that's how I had to, I had to do that a lot of my days. But when I was in treatment, they gave me the power. It was, it was a pretty bad codependent relationship I had with my ex on both sides, but I took control of my finances. Of course I didn't cut her all the way off. You can't do that. Um, but I split everything down the middle and of course she wasn't happy. Right. And, um, but that's, I can't make everybody happy and I can't control what she does. If she would have went and emptied the bank account, like she racked up the credit cards while I was gone, I wouldn't have been able to do anything about it. So I had to take control. Mm-hmm. So when I left treatment, I had a game plan. I needed to finalize the divorce before I went back to Korea. My leadership gave me an extra week. So I knew that and I didn't know where I was going to live. I had friends who were offering me to stay with them. And then also I haven't seen my kids in seven months at this time, ex- minus a week before this big news went on and they don't know what's going on. Where's mm-hmm. dad? Why is the neighbor over here with mom? You know, and who knows, God knows what else they saw. And so that's when my leadership uh, figured out a, a plan. I'm not sure if it was the right way to do it, but uh, like I said, I was there for seven years and my wanted to find someone that, that we both trusted my ex and I, and that the kids knew and they gave him a week to stay at my house and he didn't leave my side by more than 20 feet. Um, and this was for my own protection because my ex, she's already made threats while I was in treatment, you know, that you need to start paying me full child support now once I took over my, my, you know, my finances. And if not, I'm going to tell them that, that you raised your hand to me and all this other kind of stuff. Right. And, um, I was like, listen, this is now documented. I've still am sending you money, you know, what you're asking for. I'm not trying to negotiate here, but you need to stop trying to mess up my career. We're getting a divorce. Let's do this the right way. So I guess she, I don't know what she told her counselors, but I had to have a meeting with her counselor the day, the day after I landed back from Portland. And um, they had a whole emergency plan set up. I don't know what she's been telling them. There's never been any violence in our, in our marriage before. But anyway, this, this, this friend of mine stayed in our home, and we were able to figure out the divorce. I got my little divorced storage unit, 10 by 10, you know, put my motorcycle, my trucks, my guns, and my hunting gear. And, that's, and I let her keep everything else in the house. Um, because I thought it'd be better for the children. Mm-hmm. They're moving across the country and they're going to a new place and the neighbor is going to be living with them. I thought it'd be better if they had everything that they recognized. So I started all the way over. 
with a air mattress. Mm -hmm. And that was a, that was the only piece of furniture I owned and it would deflate every single night, (laughs) every single night it would deflate. I've had a few of those. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, it, it was, it was just once, once I realized some of the things that, that I needed for coping skills. Some of the best advice I, I had was, was you know, when you're in, an, in a relationship with somebody who's narcissistic, pay attention to what they're, con, you know, uh, accusing you of. That's the closest thing to a confession you're ever going to get, right? I was being accused of cheating and accused of abusing alcohol and all this other kind of stuff until that's the only thing I need to cope with. And that's what I did when I was on the other side of the planet. And then when I come home with a garage, I mean, a garage full of empty bottles, and she's pregnant by the neighbor. That was everything I was being accused of. But anyway, uh, it just helped the coping skills I was able to pick up from professionals. Yeah. So fast forward a little bit. So you've got those things going on. Your your divorce is cooking. You're you're trying to be as fair as you possibly can uh, for the welfare of your kids and the dignity of your of your ex wife. That's laudable. I mean, that's that's incredible. Just to have that kind of. You're not trying to throw her in her bus you're just trying to to, to make peace with the scenario and, and move on but then you return did you get paperwork and then yep, so uh just in a, in a minute or two how how would you tell airman how you moved on from from what took place next well when you when i got back i i I ended up getting my Article 15, and the one thing everyone regrets when you're in a situation like that, besides everything you did, but the one thing you're not looking forward to is walking in your blues in front of your unit, in front of your troops, in front of your peers, and walk into a room full of all of your leadership in their blues and being presented at Article 15. Hmm. Um, but I wrote the commander a letter and prior to him making um, the decision on the, on the NJP and explaining my situation of this is my fault. I should not let it go that far. It doesn't matter what's going on in my personal life. But the one thing I'm asking is not to lose a stripe because it'll hit my higher tenure and I'll be separated. Mm -hmm. I know I can give more back to the Air Force. I know I can come back from this. So that's the only thing that I'm asking. So I got my 45 days extra duty, which was a great thing, especially when you're going through a divorce and now you feel isolated from your peers because people who are out there drinking still and doing what they want to do or going on trips – uh, they don't really want to be associated with somebody that's going through an Article 15. Yeah, they'll stop by and they'll you know, bring you some Powerades or they'll check on you and say, hey, mm-hmm. but those other 23 hours of the day, you know, is, yeah. it's, it's you. Awkward conversations. Yep, absolutely. But that for 45 days extra duty, as soon as I got off work, I'm grinding stop sign poles, I'm repainting them. I'm cutting tree branches, I'm pulling bushes, picking up trash around the base and taking mm-hmm. pride in it, you know, and... Uh, Still to this day, uh, somebody just went to Korea last year I was talking to, and they're like, oh, I'm going to that base. And I was like, hey, check out those stop sign poles. They're fresh, <laughs> all because of me, uh-huh. you know. But then I'm, I'm faced with this. I'm alone. I'm, I'm still technically married. I'm in Korea. I um, have all this stuff going on, and I'm trying to bounce back. And thank God I didn't lose my stripe. Yeah. But how do I come back from this? So, of course, I didn't drink for about nine months after that and um, after I got back. And I just wanted to focus on myself. What are my morals? What do I want in a future relationship? I didn't want to be that guy that got remarried in six months right after a divorce. Mm-hmm. So I stu- I made these personal rules for myself of this type of person, this type of person. This is what I like to do. You know, um, It could be video games. I'm not a big gamer anymore, but I like to go and, and work on wood projects. I like to go on a walk at this time. And I wanted to find somebody that wouldn't, you know, on a hike or whatever. I wanted to find somebody that accepted me for who I was mm. and I would accept them for who they are. And now if they and not make any kind of um, sacrifices or, you know, let things slide. 
So pretty much I was looking for my best friend, a female version. Yeah. And I was lucky enough to do that. And uh, I've been married for over a year now. I have two great stepchildren. And yes, I'm still battling with the ex in some certain court things, um, but it's all petty. And I'm not so stressed out about it anymore. Um, the other mantra that I picked up was the best revenge is just to live life well. Wow. And that's what really helped me get through it. Cause there's times where they, you know, they won't let you talk to the kids or, or they're doing motions. And, you, and then when their kids are with you, you're like, oh, I'm not gonna let her talk to the kids, yeah. but don't be that person. Sure. You know, those morals codes that I, that I developed when I was on my own for nine months, coming up with my own hobbies, coming up with what I wanted in a relationship. I stuck to it. Didn't matter how, how cute the, the next girl was or anything like that. I just, I wanted that real relationship that I know was like, I know it sounds corny, but my ride or die, you know, no matter what, if I, if I had to take off in the middle of the night for the next three months, I know she'd be there. And if I wanted, if we were together for the next 34 years, yeah. um, and I wanted to just go do what I wanted to go do and she wanted to go do what she wanted to go do, we wouldn't have a problem because that basic morals we shared and we had that trust. So from, from what, what you've told us and written down probably, I don't know, six different things that I heard you discuss that were really positive coping skills that that you developed and have helped you grow through this. Not just survive, but thrive through this because you've got an amazing position here at 509th, leading some outstanding airmen and doing some amazing things. And so um, good on you. Some of the things I've heard were ask for help, be ready and willing to take classes, recovery classes or uh, classes that will grow you. Uh, I heard you say, um, I've got to own up to my part, owning your part of the pain, those kinds of things. Meditation, I heard you speak to meditation, uh, learning how to take the time and quietness to reflect on things that that matter. Um, I'm sure you get the angry voices come to you when, when things are silent and you're learning to cope with those angry voices that come at you, um, trying to kick you in the teeth and tell you you're no good. And so meditation was, was helpful for you. you. You said develop a plan. And then I heard uh, just recently um, set boundaries, setting boundaries for what you're willing to do, what you're not willing to do, and to step out in life and enjoy those those things through those boundaries and value systems that you've created yourself. Those are amazing coping skills and patterns that I think many airmen could really uh, use and put into practice. Does that, does that sound right? No, absolutely. And thank you for writing down that list. Uh, I know it's so easy to, to get lost and I might get orders soon. Uh, I might be gone. I'm going to deploy. I, you know, I want that girl back home that we see in all the war movies, writing you letters. But if you don't get that relationship, you know, based off of the rules and the boundaries and, and, you're not going to have the relationship that you wanted. You're going to end up settling for something, and so might they. And it's going to, it's going to be conflict that you guys, but neither of you guys really wanted. You guys just told each other what somebody wanted to hear. But finding that person or that that respects you, I mean, that's a big thing too. Is respect and goes both ways in the relationship. And if you lay out what you want and who you are as a person, and you're good with that, oh, cool. Who are you? Yeah. Oh, I'm good with that too. You know, maybe not those two things, but we'll just get past that. Don't do that. Just find that person that fits you a hundred percent and that accepts you for, you know, I snore, I got plantar's fasciitis, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> uh, I I'm, I'm in mid mid thirties working construction. Like my back hurts a lot. You know, there's certain things that I'm like, Hey, I'm going to go lay on the couch for two hours and not feel guilty about it anymore. You know? Yeah. Or feel guilty about wanting to go ride my motorcycle with my friends, you know, or be upset that she went and did something with her friends. You know, it's, 
you guys have to be just as strong apart as you are together. And you won't know that unless you accept and respect each other for who you are. Yeah. And you can't get there until you take time to work on yourself and ask for help because none of us are born yeah. with knowing how to meditate or, yeah. or, or, or how to cope. With no manuals. Know. Not at all. You know, I think that's a, what you said is a really good point that um, we have to work on our, ourself. And, and you, you said this earlier that um, I think it's part of accepting responsibility. I mean, all we can control, and you, you did say this, is, is us in a situation. And oftentimes we're not willing to even consider that, to even look at that, because oftentimes it's not, it's not fun. No, it's, it's not. But when you hit rock bottom, there's nowhere else to look besides you. Right, because here you are alone, and what do you do? Well, let me look at me first. Yeah, there's a couple things I could have fixed. I know I didn't make my ex-wife happy in all aspects. You know, I was a little bit to blame for why she was unhappy. You know, but she broke that that moral code. You know that, and then so relationship over, and so that's done. So I'll focus on on this. How do I make myself better? How do I make sure the people around me is who I want in my life? I mean, it could be a supervisor, another airman a family friend or a family member that is toxic mm. and you might have to deal with them in some aspect, but you can't change them. That's who they are. Yeah. That's it. But as long as you're good with yourself and you got, and you got to that place where you know who you are, not just, Oh, this Saturday I'm going to figure out who I am and write down a bunch of morals and that's it. Yeah. You know, because <laughs> there's a, there's a lot of loopholes in your own morals that of other course. people can poke at and point out. And it's a journey. Absolutely. It's, a journey. it's not a one day thing. Absolutely. And everybody's life, it, you can't figure it out by your, by the time you're 22. You can't, you know, um, you can't figure it out just because you went to ALS, you know, or NCOA, or you made master in 12 years. You're, automatically, you're not going to know who you are as a person. You've got to go through a struggle. And that's what makes your character is how you come out that other side. And you get to control how you come out. Mm-hmm. You don't have to blame the people that hurt you. You don't have to blame them and get revenge. Like I said, the best revenge is to live your best life. Mm. Because I'm telling you what, that makes people angry. And they, they want some kind of attention from you still, even if it's negative. And you can see who those people are. And then you know you made a good decision to cut them out of your life. Now here you are with a small group of people that respect you because they know who you are. They can count on you. And they want to be in your life. And they help you out without even asking. You know, they just go, hey, I heard you mention something about this. So here's this extra thing. Oh, hey, that's great. I don't have to stop and pick. Well, that's awesome, man. You know, let's make some plans later. But yeah, having the healthy relationships and asking for help and reflecting on who you are and what you want and not break away from that. Yeah. So just in in the next 30 seconds or so, um, just to give a little bit of context, we started the session off with uh, Under the Bridge by Red Hot Chili Peppers, iconic song that everybody knows. I love that song, but I probably love it for totally different reasons. And, and this is the song that, that you wanted to, to add as part of this podcast. What what does that song mean to you? Uh, why choose it? Well, I, I never understood it as a kid when my dad used to blast that in Green Day on his floor speakers you know, <laughs> in the living room apartment that we grew up in. But, but as I got older uh, and then life started happening, the whole song, you know, is there's a lot of different parts to it, but it really just clicks with me about the isolation and, and addiction. Addiction could be to anything. It could be alcohol. It could be to a, a toxic relationship. It could be to attention. But dealing with loneliness and addiction, going back to remembering parts of your life that you just survived through, is I never want to feel that way. Take me to the place that I love. Mm. So in that same song of all the stress that, that he was going through, 
is I remember what happened and I know not to do that again and how to not do that. Everything we just discussed today. Now, where's the place that I love? I'm going to go back there and that's where I want to be. And that's how I've been trying to live uh, every day since, since uh, my article 15 and it's been working out for me so far. There's struggles, you know, but again, I asked for help. I have great leadership here at FSS. I had great leadership here in CE and just leadership can help you. Maybe the one person that you directly work with, maybe not them, but talk to somebody else, you know, go lateral, find a mentor that way. That's awesome. Well, Sergeant Dilley, is there any final questions? You get the last word in all of our staff meetings. <laughs> any last uh Last rounds or anything? I'll, I'll just say thank you for uh, share, sharing your story and being open and vulnerable. Uh, I, I hope that others hear this and it gives them courage and helps them understand that even though things might be difficult, and even if your journey, maybe it's not in the Air Force, yours was, and it's it's great to hear that somebody was able to take those shots and it still work, worked out for them. I, I, I guess maybe just this final question, because this is something that has occurred to me not too long ago where you felt like you're past something. You're like, you know what? I'm going to move past this. And so you move past it, but then you find out the next day you're not really past it. So do you, do you find that you have to work through, through things? Is it, is it daily? Is it monthly? What, what, what is it? So, uh, yeah, as things still pop up, but yeah, sometimes, sometimes it's daily. Sometimes you go months without dealing with it or, or thinking of those kind of thoughts or situations again. But the path that I took I can look at it, and I know it's going to sound corny again, but like a SME, a subject matter expert of my life, I've been down this road. I know the ways that this could go, and I, and I already know that there's probably a couple ways I don't know how it's going to go, but I know that this path works, asking for help, uh, focusing on myself and what I can do in this situation, and sticking to that plan and getting to your goal because that feeling of, of overcoming something that, that potentially was, was life-threatening in many different ways, will make you feel like a stronger person that you can conquer anything that, that gets thrown at you. Right on. Well, thank you, Sergeant Walters, for being here and being our special guest. Absolutely. And your story is incredible. And um, I hope you airmen out there can really gain some some nuggets of, of wisdom and apply some of those things to your own life. I'm Chaplain Petrie with Sergeant Dilly and Sergeant Walters, and we're signing out. <laughs>